we were singing some songs earlier. And you can go ahead and be opening to Matthew chapter 6. And let's see here. You know, um, when we were singing here a little bit ago, reminded me of a testimony I heard. A minister friend of mine was in a church. And you know how years ago, people, you'd have your, you know, your praise and worship, whatever, and right before the sermon, somebody would come up and sing a special song. We used to do that here. Nothing wrong with it. It just, we kind of got away from it. Well, a minister friend of mine, he was a guest speaker at a particular church, and a lady got up to sing a song. And they started playing the soundtrack. Uh, she started singing. And I don't think she was very far into the song. And she said, wait, wait, stop, stop, turn that off. And she looked over at the pastor and she said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I just can't sing this song because I'm not living it. And she put the microphone down and got off the platform. Now, it wasn't that she was admitting to sin. She was just declaring that in essence, she was feeling hypocritical by singing that song. Now, we were singing earlier um, several songs. Okay, for example, the song Tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. And the question is, were we, individualize this, were you, me, singing that as a testimony or as a statement of, I hope someday this becomes real, or just words because that's what we were doing? Jesus, you silence fear. Is that true? Oh, yeah, Brother Martin. Well, okay. I mean, I really hope you're singing a testimony. I mean that sincerely. And then we were singing the song, Goodness of God. I love you, Lord. Your mercy never fails me. Do you really believe that? It's easy to say yes to all of this in church. It's easy. Because we're like, in a way, we're kind of like human parrots. We've been trained what to say. All right, goodness is good. God, your mercy. All right, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, really, do we really believe this? Your mercy never fails me. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Now, obviously, you're not going to go around every waking moment singing. Some of you get fired. Okay? But we understand the imagery here. So, is that a reality? I mean, really? Is it? 
All my life, you have been faithful. It's easy to say that now. But is that how we really feel? All my life, you have been faithful. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Let me put it differently. With every breath that I am able, what comes out of my mouth will be based on the goodness of God. Okay, now, is that how we live? Now, I'm just going to be blunt right here. No, it's not for too many of us in this room. We're hypocrites when we sing these things just because we're singing them. Now, when it's a declaration of faith, like, remember, Jesus is ministering, and uh, the man said, you know, help me, Jesus. You know, my son's tormented. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And the man said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. You know, to me, that's one of the greatest passages in Scripture. Because this man is saying, I do believe, but at the same time, I acknowledge there's stuff going on inside me that really doesn't demonstrate a belief at the level where it should be. So help me. You know, glory to God for such honesty. And, uh, you know, I love your voice. You've led me through the fire. You know, the, the most troubling of troubling circumstances. You've led me through it. There's some people, Christians, I don't know, it comes across to me like you have set up camp in the fire and you're rolling around in it. Now, you know I'm not, I don't mean literal fire, but, you know, the worst possible circumstances. Nothing ever changes. Really? Wonder why. Um... And as your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Okay, <laughs> symbolically, maybe we should slow down and let it catch up. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Okay, I understand that. And I understand what's being said here in the song. And uh, the thing is, it is just too easy, and I apologize for messing up all these song sheets, but it's just too easy for us to say what we're supposed to say and to say what we've been trained to say, when in reality, it's not the reality for us. It's easy to do that at church because we've been trained. And it has to go beyond training. It has to be a life. And did I tell you to look at Matthew 6? Ah, good job, Brother Martin. Matthew chapter 6. Now look at this. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Verse 27, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Verse 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or where shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
Look over in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In verse 018. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now just to touch on that one briefly. How many times have you been afraid to minister to somebody concerning healing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In essence, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Come on. Really? I mean, really? As long as you've been here? When Jesus says, take no thought, that comes from that phrase, take no thought, that we've read repeatedly here. It comes from the Greek word, meramnao. It means to be anxious, troubled, as in worried, stressed, or in fear. And it's associated with the word marimna which means anxiety or worry, that brings disruption to the personality and the mind. Now look over in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And here in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Well, this word troubled comes from the Greek word terasso. It means stir up, agitate, disturb, uh, in fear, put in trepidation, to disquiet within. So then, we're, we're told... Take no thought and let not your heart be troubled. Because uh, that, that word marimna where it talks about the anxiety or the worry that brings disruption to the personality and mind. Um, you know, I'm not going to point fingers or anything, but there are people who call this their home church. That just described you. To where your personality and your mind have been impacted, and you maybe don't realize it, or maybe you don't care, I don't know. But we see it. It's noticeable. Now, if Jesus is addressing these things the way he is, then what he's saying is, we don't have an excuse for being like that. Absolutely none. You see, um, in the body of Christ, there people come from all different backgrounds. I get that. And then when people get, um, you know, born again and they start attending church, which they're supposed to when they're born again, I mean, that's the Bible. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> you put your faith in Jesus to be born again, for your sins to be washed away. You want to spend eternity with him. You don't want to spend eternity in hell. But then you don't have enough appreciation for your salvation to attend church and fellowship with him. Go figure. 
Nevertheless, within the body of Christ, you're going to find a lot of addictions. Addictions, uh, you know, to drugs, alcohol, pornography. There are some people, they're addicted to their jobs, to their work, which is an odd thing, but yeah. Some people are addicted to um, television. Some people are addicted to their cell phone. You know, I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but and I'm not trying to be rude. Really, I'm not. But, you know, for people that come into church, Christians, and they sit in the service with their phone, texting their friends, watching this, doing whatever. I mean, honestly, really, if you have no, I'm not just talking teens, adults, all right? I mean, if you have so little respect for what we're doing here and for what God is doing in our midst, then you really need to consider going to another church. Because that's just plain rude. And I mean it is extremely rude. You wouldn't get away with that in school. In some schools, you can't even have a phone in the classroom. You have to hide it. So, you know, these are things that we're believing God for a move of the Spirit, revival, an outpouring, okay, these are things that have got to be tweaked in our lives. It, it's not an option. I mean, really, think about it. We're believing for people to, to come in, be born again, and receive from God everything that he has for them. And so new people come in, and they look around, and they see some of you on your phone during the service. What in the world kind of testimony for Christ is that? It's terrible. You know, oh, Brother Martin, you're just trying to control our lives. Wait a second. When I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones. So this is not something that is vital to the existence of humanity during a church service. So why would you want to do that? And parents, why don't you have the guts to deal with this? Or grandparents, you bring your grandkids in here, what you tell them? Say, no, not, not during the service. You don't do that. Now, granted, I admit there are times when you may see me pull my phone out I'm either checking a verse of Scripture or I'm sending a text back to the audio or video booth to let them know uh, this needs to be tweaked or something. Beyond that, no way, whether it's here or any other church that church service where I might be. But nevertheless, there are all kinds of, of addictions. You know, uh, like I said, the, the cell phones and then the whole thing, computer, the Internet, you know, the social media stuff. And what's really bad is how that you can have some Christians, they are addicted to their phones, to social media, to television. And when confronted about it, they'll deny it. It's no different than the alcoholic that denies he's got a problem. It's no different than a drug addict that denies he's got a problem. Oh, I don't have a problem drinking. You know, I, I can control this. Well, then do it. Oh, I don't have a problem with my cell phone. Fine, put it down. Don't pick it up the rest of the night. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time when I, I thought, I was like, do I have an addiction to television? And so I'm sitting and I'm watching this movie. I'd never seen it before. It was a Western. I like Westerns. Uh, and I don't remember if it was a John Wayne movie or what. But anyway, halfway through this movie, I took the remote, turned it up, turned it off, got up and walked away. I was really into this movie, but I thought, if I cannot do that right now in the middle of something 
that does not have an impact on my eternal destiny, I've got a problem. And to this day, I don't remember what the movie was. I don't know if I've ever seen it. But I knew this. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat it. I will rise above it. Well, and I did. Now, some people would say, Brother Martin, do you ever turn the television on? Well, yeah, I do. Well, then you watch too much. Okay, that's you. (laughs) I do still watch. Nevertheless, all these different addictions, you know, drugs, alcohol, porn, work, TV, cell phone, computer, Internet, um, you know, social media, they're all bad. And they all exist in the body of Christ, all of them. There have been people in here that have, over the years, who have attended and, and battled some of these things. But do you know what the worst addiction is? What may be, what I think probably is the worst addiction for Christians? Worry. Worry. You've got Christians, their lives are completely messed up because of worry. See, you cannot drink worry. You understand what I mean by that? You can't, it's not like booze. You can't drink worry. Worry cannot be watched. It cannot be injected. It cannot be smoked. It cannot be eaten. Worry is a destructive emotion that cannot in any way arbitrarily overwhelm or control the life of a Christian. And here's the kicker. It has to be accepted and allowed to penetrate the soul. Has to be. You cannot be overcome by worry because, oops, where'd that come from? No. Never. It is impossible. You say, but Brother Martin, there are different personality types. I know. I understand that. But worry cannot just take you over. You have to open the door of your soul and let it in. Worry is an inner response by choice to outward circumstances. You have to let it in. And every single one of us in here, we have faced, either are facing or are going to face, outward circumstances that would want to um, impact us in such a way to where we respond by allowing worry to be formulated within our soul. And here's the thing. Worry reveals a lack of trust and faith in God. When you're worrying, when it's there, it's really hypocritical to talk about, I know the goodness of God. Because if you truly know the goodness of God, you're not going to worry about anything. I mean, that's just the way it is. You know what is challenging about a message like this? It's because you have a lot of Christians that want to defend this aspect of worry. Well, I have a right. You just don't know what's going on in my life. Well, wait a second. We were just talking about the goodness of God. We were just singing about the goodness of God. So how can you sing about the goodness of God and then defend using the circumstances, the adverse circumstances, as an excuse for worry. I mean, we've got a real contradiction here, guys. It, <laughs> excuse me, the word worry, pardon me, the word worry, did a little research. 
goes back to an old English word, wire in, something like that. And here's what it means. Not Worry today is defined differently from its, its mama word, <laughs> from, you know, hundreds of years ago, that old English word. Now get this, wearin, to slay, kill brutally, kill or injure by biting and shaking the throat. Like if you're being attacked by a, a dog or a wolf, that's what this word means. And the, the old English word, wearin, or wirin, something like, anyway, it gets traced back to an old German word, vergen, which means to strangle or kill. That is what worry is. Is it any wonder Jesus said, take no thought? Because, listen, when that is what the word means, and you begin to worry, okay, do you realize, and some of you may have experienced this, there are some people, when they get to worrying about things, they feel like their throat is tightening up. <laughs> well, that's what the word says. That's, that's what this word means. That's part of its definition, of course. They, they just have all of this inner stuff going on. Look over in uh, Mark chapter 4. Think about those definitions that I just read to you. And here in Mark chapter 4, just begin reading in uh, verse 14. Jesus said, the sower soweth the word. All right, that's the word of God. And then in verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. See that? And where he says here, the cares of this word world, that word cares, it is that word marimna. Anxiety, worry. And what it means here is, well, let me read it like this. And these, uh, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the anxiety and worry that brings disruption to the personality and the mind are entertained when adverse circumstances are encountered and choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Now, if it's choking the word, Guess what isn't happening? It's inhibiting the development of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, but if the word's being choked off, the faith can't be developed. So, in other words, you cannot profess, engage, accept, live with worry, and still think the word of God is producing in you the way God has promised it will produce. It's impossible. It can't happen that way. Now, look over in um, look in Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Now look here in verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. 
Now you'll notice here the fruit of the Spirit. This is talking about your born again spirit, alright? It's not talking about the Holy Ghost. I know it's a capital S, but it shouldn't be a capital S. The reason it's not the Holy Spirit is because that means we are sitting around and we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to do these things in us. Therefore, we can justify a lack of any of these things by saying, well, the Holy Spirit just hasn't given it to me yet. But that's not the case. The Bible says that we are complete in Jesus Christ. That completeness is described here, in part, in verses 22 and 23. The fruit of our born-again spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Notice that peace is one of them. This peace, it's not talking about the absence of adverse circumstances. It's talking about a peace in the midst of them or anything else, which is what Jesus talked about. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, I'm giving you a peace that the world can't give you. And he says, the fruit of your born-again spirit is all of these things, but the peace, the peace. Now, like worry, this peace, it comes from within, but it's coming from a different source. The worry is coming from the soul. The peace is coming from our born-again spirit, our new nature. And so what, what you see right then is conflict. The soul slash worry is battling with the new nature slash peace, which is what we just read or what is recorded in verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Warfare on the inside, it's a battle. It's a battle. Because every single one of us, no matter what happens in life, you know, the bad things, we're faced with an opportunity to worry. Every single one of us. I mean, even Jesus would have been faced with that. Remember that? The, the, the boat being filled with water? And the disciples, I mean, some of them, fishermen, they know boats, they know water. And yet they thought, this is it, we're going, the boat's going to sink, we're all going to die, we're going to drown. And they run back, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Aren't you worried like the rest of us? We're all going to die. And what was Jesus' response? Guys, come on, where's your faith? Peace, be still. When did the waves settle down? They wanted him to worry with them. They wanted him to be upset with them. They wanted him grab a bucket and bail because that's the only solution. Otherwise, we're all going to die. And it won't be good if we let the Son of God drown. And really, that, that whole image, it's almost as though we, that's what we present to God sometimes. Come on, God, you should be worrying with me. Well, God, you should be upset with me. I mean, if, if I'm going to worry, join in. Let's have a party. God is completely separated from that. He's not worried. He'll never worry. He can't worry. He's God. You say, well, yeah, but I'm not God. Who's your father? Some people use that as, a, you know, who's your daddy? Okay, well, okay, who's your daddy? <laughs> God. <laughs> Now, if my daddy's not going to worry, why should I? 
His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Tremendous song. But then if you look in verse 24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Remember what Jesus said about so or so is the word, and these are they that it's sown in, and yet these people are caught up, the cares of this world, the you know, the deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things, entering in. And here we see they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now, this word affections, it's interesting. It comes from the Greek word pathema. And as it's used in this verse, it means, it's kind of like a, um, it has dual meanings. I'll explain. It can be talking about um, world-based desires. In other words, you're, you're focused more on things that have to be sin, just world-based desires. But it also means sufferings, which in the, in the context here, especially the context of what we're studying, sufferings associated with the flesh and the soul, which would include worry. And so, in essence, God is saying that the power of pathema, or the, the affections, the power of this thing in the life of a believer, from his perspective, has been crucified. In other words, it cannot arbitrarily move in and take over. It cannot control you. How many of you laid in bed, please don't respond, but how many of you laid in bed at night worried about fill in the blank? Oh, I tell you, I just couldn't sleep last night. Why not? Well, I just, just so worried about. What? See, that's not the testimony of the goodness of God. And that's not the testimony of, of somebody who knows that the affections, okay, have been crucified. An acknowledgement of the fact that those things are dead to me. That worry's dead to me. I'm alive. That is dead to me. And too many Christians habitually allow worry to enter their soul. This has got to be broken. It's got to stop. There's no excuse for this. If you're born again, you have in you a born-again spirit that is not compatible with worry. Anxiety, stressed out. Okay, it's not compatible with that. This is something you have to accept. And it's not good. See, when you, when you have people, Christians, who demonstrate, not every time you see them, hopefully, but there's a pattern in their lives. When things happen that aren't good, and they show up to church talking about these things, not in a way that declares the victory of Jesus, but in a way that declares, in essence, hopelessness. Uh, not knowing, you know, I just, I have no clue, I just don't know what to do. Okay, the worry. Even to the point to where, you know, the, the, the tears are running down and, I just don't know, I just, I just, okay. You know what? Our, our tendency is to want to take them in our arms, say, oh, they're there now. 
They're there now. And, and coddle them and indirectly become an enabler of what they're demonstrating because either consciously or subconsciously, that's what they're looking for. They want somebody to cry with them. Now, some people would say, well, Brother Martin, you tell us that, you know, we shouldn't, you know, we just, just, you know, be that way. I mean, not have any kind of feelings whatsoever. You know, what do you want us to be, Vulcan Christians? No, hey, even Jesus wept. But the reason he wept was far different from the reason a lot of Christians weep. Now, did Jesus ever get upset about things? Oh, yeah. At who? <laughs> Lack of faith. <laughs> you hypocrites, you religious leader vipers. And so, yeah, he got upset with people, but for the right reasons. But he didn't let the adverse circumstances get to him. I mean, he could have. All right, now you apostles, y'all need to pray for me. Everywhere we go, somebody's trying to kill me. I tell you, being Messiah, it's tough. <laughs> if anybody could justify it, you know what I'm saying? Look over, all right. The question then would be, well, what do you expect me to do, Pastor Jim? I mean, you know, Everything stinks. And you got some Christians that say, well, I'm never like that. I just never, not me. I don't have a worry addiction. Really? Yeah, I never let it get to me. Okay. Then we're just going to wait and see what happens when a challenging situation arises. A child that you have raised to love God, serve God, believe in God, read the Bible, go to church, and that child decides that I would rather live in darkness and fellowship with the people of darkness than talk about Jesus. Now, if that happens, we'll see where you stand. Or, you know, a close friend or family member passes away. We'll see. We'll know. We'll know. Or you... You lose your job. We'll know. Because it's easy to say, those, you know, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might, and things don't get to me, etc., etc., etc. It's easy to say that until. And when the until happens, that's when what really is going on inside, the, the, the real strength on the inside is demonstrated. Or, you know, you can say the lack of the strength. See, and, and, uh, when it comes to beating this, you're gonna understand why this is so vital at the end of the service. You can't be a person who struggles with worry, fear, anxiety, stress, I mean, all that. You cannot be a, a Christian who struggles with that kind of an addiction. And you say, well, I don't worry every time. Yeah, but when the, when the stuff happens, what do you do? And if the worry is there, whenever something, well, I don't know how we're going to get this car fixed. I don't know how we're going to, the air conditioner went out, the furnace went out, the hot water went out, <laughs> the TV went out. Okay, when these kind of things start happening and, and you get all 
worked up on the inside. You get worried, stressed, and all that. Okay, that's an addiction. That's an addiction. Because as long as you are living with the high of no problems, then everything is okay. But that high wears off when the water heater leaks all over the place. When the furnace goes out in the middle of the winter. When the car breaks down. We don't have the money to fix this. We don't have, we don't have. Okay, there you go. It's an addiction. Too many Christians live in denial over this issue. And this is so important because this impacts our testimony. This impacts, Jesus said, you know, you'll be witnesses unto me. I'm going to be a witness unto Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus can do for you after I tell you how lousy my life is. <laughs> Excuse me? You can't, I don't mean to sound cruel, but you can't sit at the job boohooing and crying over your family situation and then claim you have total faith in God. Look, the two aren't compatible. But too many Christians will tell you this is okay. Why? It's just natural. No, not for a believer. Not for a Christian. That's where we've missed it. And that's where this particular addiction is so readily accepted within the body of Christ. Jesus said, when we read there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25, 27, 28, 31, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, take no thought. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you understand those are instructions? That's him. That is Jesus Christ saying, Don't do this. Now, if it weren't an option, he wouldn't present it as such. He's saying, Don't do this. Do not let this take no thought. Don't get worried, anxious. Don't let this happen. Don't let it happen. Let not your heart. Don't let it take place. He's saying, look, you have the ability to shut it down. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your care, your marimna, upon him, for he careth for you. And what's interesting is that the, the casting all your care, that word care is marinda. You know, the worry, the stress, the anxiety, it impacts your personality and mindset. But then where it says that he careth for you, that's a totally different Greek word. It's the Greek word melo. And the image it presents is he's concerned for you. In other words, he has not ignored you, that he is paying close attention to your life and what's going on in your life. And he is concerned for every aspect of your life, no matter what it is. You know, you run out of toothpicks at home. He wants you to have toothpicks at home. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but the point I'm trying to make is there's no part of our lives that Jesus is not interested in. So, casting all your marimna, anxiety, worry, stress, casting all of it, all of it, all, the word all, it, it, I mean, that is so critical. That little three-letter word is so critical. You know, he could have just said, cast your care upon him. But it says, casting all your marimna upon him. That means all of it, no matter what. No matter what happens, every part of worry, you cast it over onto him. The moment you got born again, that new nature in you, 
There is no worry contained in it. It cannot release worry. It's impossible because it's not there. So he says, take no thought, let not your heart, and then cast all the care over. This is an instruction. So I want to do this. I want to live without fear, worry. I want to, I want to live with, I want to break this addiction. Then take no thought. Don't take it. Let not your heart be troubled. Cast the care over on him. Yeah, but Pastor Jim, I gotta be honest with you. You know, I appreciate what you're saying, and yeah, I see what you're saying here from the word, scripture, and all. But you know what, Pastor Jim, may I be like really honest with you? Sure, go ahead. You just make it sound too easy. I mean, you make it sound like this is just, you know, like get, drinking a glass of water. Well, you know what? It should be. <laughs> Let me show you some things. Look over in uh, Luke chapter 10. You know, there. have you ever heard the term of a... Um, Functional alcoholic. A functional alcoholic is a person who can drink, get drunk, and not necessarily appear drunk to people, yet be drunk, really drunk. Well, there are functional worriers. They can put on the show and not look like they're worrying, but on the inside, yeah. Now, in Luke chapter 10, look at this, verse 38. And it came, now it came to pass as they, Jesus and those with, with him, uh, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. Now, in verse 40, where it says that Martha was encumbered about much serving, that's a really interesting word. And it comes from the Greek word, I think it's parispro or something like that. And the image that it presents is to be drawn around by the mind. Or you ever heard somebody put a hook in their jaw or put, you know, grab them by, lead them by the nose? Okay, that's the image that this is presenting. And he says, Martha, you're being led around by all this stuff. You are encumbered. You are weighed down by all this stuff. And notice this, where he says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about what? Many things. What he was doing was revealing to her a lifestyle of worry. And, you know, it wasn't that people didn't need to eat. But you have this situation to where, yeah, people need to eat. We need to, you know, we have guests in the home. And yet, Mary made a decision to do what? Sit at Jesus' feet. Mealtime was coming. 
But Mary made a decision to sit at Jesus' feet. Now, this is what we must choose to do. Sit at Jesus' feet instead of sitting at the feet of the problem. The symbolism here, sitting at the feet of Jesus, that represents a submission to his position of authority in an individual's life. But if I'm sitting at the feet of the problem, then guess what? I'm sitting in submission to what that problem is trying to dictate into my life. I have yielded authority in my life over to that problem. But remember, I mean, think about this. When we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're sitting at the feet of the Prince of Peace. So therefore, when I'm sitting at the feet of the Prince of Peace, there's no way that he's going to minister worry to me, but what he will do is is minister to me this peace. Or sitting at his feet in submission to his authority is going to allow that peace he's given me to begin to rise up and dominate the worry. And it won't be there. This has to be a lifestyle. It has to be. You can't just do it today and then not think about doing it again until there's another problem and you start worrying, oh, I need to run and sit at Jesus' feet. Well, yeah, you should, but, you know, you might want to think about being there on a regular basis (laughs) because it's going to help you prepare for the next something that wants you to pull in the worry and let it move in. And you can say, no, 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 I've been sitting at the feet of the Prince of Peace and therefore the peace that passes all understanding, it's alive on the inside. I'm not doing this. No, worry, you can't come in. Circumstance, you're there. But worry, I will not allow you to be birthed on the inside of me. Look in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now let's work through some of this. In verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There are nuances of the the Greek and Hebrew language that I really don't uh, fully understand. But in a verse like this where it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, I forget the technical term, but it's like a double emphasis, meaning do this and be sure you do this and take this seriously. Rejoice in the Lord. Okay, the, the word rejoice, it means exactly what you think it means. Rejoice in the Lord always. Here's another instruction. Take no thought. Let not your heart be troubled. Rejoice in the Lord always. They contrast each other. See that? And so here we have an instruction. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says here in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known to all men. Let your moderation be known. (laughs) Let it be your testimony to everybody. Now, this whole thing of, um, you know, the moderation, it's talking about, well, it comes from a, a Greek word that means mild, gentle, patient. Another way to say it would be not always worked up, not worked up, not stirred up, not marimnoed. Let your moderation be a testimony to everybody. Proverbs fifteen thirteen says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, 
but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Look, guys, there have been people walking in this church who attend this church on a regular basis. You don't have to ask. Just You just look at their face. There's, there is no peace countenance about them. And sometimes it's almost like you can feel it coming from them. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that. Proverbs 15.15 says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. So, yeah, you want your life to be different, This, you know, the merry heart. Sit at the feet of the Prince of Peace. Proverbs 17.22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Without getting into a whole lot of technicalities here, basically one of the things God is saying is a lack of a merry heart impacts your physical health. You want an ulcer? Go ahead. Worry all day long, then come crying for prayer. I just don't know what's going on in my stomach. It's just my stomach. I've been listening to you for the last four months. I can tell you what's going on. Oh, no, Pastor, that's not it. That's not it. Yes, it is. No, no, no. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Let your moderation be known unto all men. You can't do that when there's worry. When you have a worry addiction, you can't do that. In the next verse, verse 6, this is, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. He isn't saying that you ignore problems, but he's telling you who you're supposed to talk to about it. <laughs> the church congregation is not your sounding board. You go, now that doesn't mean you can never share a prayer request. The problem is this. Too many Christians, they trust everybody, and even if they don't trust everybody, they just want everybody to know what's going on. Now I know figure of speech, everybody. But there, there are probably very few people in your life that you can share a, a, call it a prayer request, a battle that you're going through, that you can trust them to stand with you with the Word of God. Very few people. And I've encountered, I've seen a lot of Christians, you know, they just, they're looking for somebody who is like them. You know, birds of a feather flock together, or a, <laughs> Christians of worry worry together. They're looking for people who will do that. You can see it. You can witness it. You'll see it. And so it says here, now listen. He says, be careful for nothing, and everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let me summarize that. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, and worship God. That's it. <laughs> That's the New Martin International version of it. <laughs> Worry about nothing, pray about everything, and worship God. We cannot originate the power for healing, for deliverance, for provision. For, we can't do that on our own. It has to come from another source. So therefore, why should I worry about what I can't do? But when I put my faith in Him, let my supplication be known unto Him. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, and worship God. Life's going to be a whole lot easier... Because the very next verse he says, 
and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The result, this verse 7 is the result of doing verses 4 through 6. If you don't do verses 4 through 6, why should you expect verse 7? That word keep, it comes from um, a Greek word, prorero. It means to be a watcher in advance, to mount guard as a sentinel, to hem in, in other words, to encircle, to protect as with a garrison. And the, the image it presents is of literally having um, highly trained, fully armed, bad-to-the-bone special forces surrounding you to where nothing gets to you. Absolutely not. That's the peace of God. And what God is saying is, my peace is like a warrior in your life. Pastor Dave referred to it as the aggressive weapon of God. My peace is like a warrior. And when you do verses 4 through 6, then my peace will set up camp around you. And you're not going to worry. You will not be in fear. You will not be in anxiety. Well, that doesn't mean that worry worry might... It doesn't mean worry won't mount an attack. But what it means is the, the sentinel of peace surrounding you is going to say, no, you can't come in. You can't enter. And I'm saying it nicely. <laughs> peace is a fighter. Peace is a green beret, an army ranger. Peace is the bad to the bone. Peace is Hulk Hogan in his prime. <laughs> You get the image here, right? Yeah. This is what he's talking about. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou will keep, again, that repetitive, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. That word perfect is the same Hebrew word as peace. Thou wilt keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. In other words, God is saying, You can't lose on this deal. But you have to do your part. In verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That word think, it comes from uh, the Greek word logizomai, or something close to that. And it means to esteem or to place value. In other words, you are to esteem these things as having greater value in your life than the adverse circumstances. But when you allow those adverse circumstances to be esteemed in your mind's perception, then that's when that worry starts coming in. And he says, no, verse 8, think on these things. You say, okay, well, that sounds all good, but, you know... (laughs) What are these things? I mean, I see them being described, but I mean, where do I find these things? Oh, that's simple. You're holding the book of these good things right there in your hand. The more that you get into the Word of God is the more that you're going to be able to think on these things. You'll be transforming your mind. You know, like I said, you get into the book of Psalms and you begin to read, yeah, David went through some tough times and he explains those tough times, but then he starts talking about you know, 
Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Rejoice in the Lord, and so forth. The, the, the bad is described in Psalms, but the deliverance is revealed. And the fact that God will move. If you start reading the book of Psalms over and over again, you see, you know, oh God, you know, the evil are doing this and the evil are doing that and the bad people are doing this and the bad people are doing that and oh God, you know, the, they need to be dealt with and so on and so forth. And then he turns around and he says, but my God shall move and the evil shall be brought down and they shall be judged and over and over again. See, when you, when you have that living in you, you're not going to be fussy and worry about, oh, the price of gas, glory to God, it's going through the roof. The price of meat, going through the roof. <laughs> the price of toilet paper, going through the roof. <laughs> when somebody going to do something about all this? God has. He already has. Guys, you need to understand. Yeah, things look pretty good during the period that's recorded in the Bible. But it wasn't a whole long... Well, actually, it was during the time uh, of... It was right after... Okay. The Apostle Paul and Christians were blamed for the burning of Rome. And that's when Nero was able to turn Roman society against the Christians. And they, had, they took Christians, crucified them along a roadway, and set them on fire for, to, to be the evening torches. Yes. And we think high gas prices are the end of the world. Oh my goodness, have you been to the grocery store lately? Why, it's Armageddon. Oh my goodness. And in the midst of all of it, let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be troubled. Take no thought. And then he tells you, think on these things, and all these things that we're supposed to be thinking on are right here in this book, and that, the song, The Goodness of God. How can you sing about the goodness of God when you don't know what it is, or don't believe it's there? You can't. You can sing the song, but it's kind of hollow. Now look over in Second Corinthians, and here's kind of where we're tying all this together. Second Corinthians Chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to give you a moment. I want to be sure you are there so that you can read this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Look at that. Verse 3, comfort. Verse 4, comforteth and comfort and comfort and comforted. I mean, five times this word is being used in two verses. So here's, here's what we're seeing. And, and this is why, why it's so important that this addiction be broken. The worry addiction absolutely must be broken for us to see the fullness of a spiritual outpouring and revival because the people who are coming in, the fruit of revival, they cannot come in here 
and see, witness, more worry than theirs. They, they can't, we cannot let this happen. We are supposed to be living in the comfort of God, the goodness of God, the peace of God, so that we can turn around and minister, as he says here, comfort to those which are in any trouble, no matter what they're going through. We have to be at that place so that when they come in, they see people who are not troubled about anything. Are you kidding me? Gas is $7 a gallon. Well, praise God. God, He'll provide for us. Yeah, but, well, I understand. Because you see, you know, these folks that are coming into Food of Revival, they're babes in Christ. They need us to minister this comfort to them. We can't do that if we're the ones that are all ate up with worry. You know, you have somebody come in here, you know, just got born again. They don't know how to fully trust God. They've never read the Bible. They're learning. We're supposed to be discipling them. And so they go up to somebody here in the church and it's like, oh, I tell you what, man, I'm telling you, it's just, oh, my life, it just is terrible. I mean, it's just this and it's just that. And then the person they're talking to say, I know, I know, I know. I'm going through the same this and the same that. And I'll tell you what, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Now, you, some of you out here chuckling at this, that is just a slight exaggeration. Because there are people who have come through the doors of this church and have called this their home church. I do not trust them to minister comfort to others. Because it's not there in them. I don't want them talking to people who are going through it. Because... I don't know what will come out of their mouth. We have to be at this place where we have broken that addiction to worry. And the only way that's going to, to happen is if we sit at the feet of the Prince of Peace. Is if we do what he said here in Philippians chapter 4. And I'm telling you, that addiction will be broken. And your life will be guarded. That, that inner person of who you are that peace will set up camp around you and keep you from it. And then when, when the worry, it says, hey, here I am. Remember how we used to play together? I'm back. And you're going to, no, you're going to rise above it. You're not going to let it happen. And if you start to speak worry, that, that peace is going to say, hey, hey. What are you doing? You know, there was a verse, and I forget it. I just even thought of it now. Don't remember the chapter and verse. It's talking, you know, God set a watch on my mouth so that what comes out glorifies you. Now, that's a paraphrase. But this whole thing of the worry, we cannot accept it as being the norm for a believer. It is not. And we have to break that addiction. No matter what happens in life, we have to break that addiction so that we walk in that peace that passes all understanding. And we are ready to minister comfort to others no matter what they are going through. And that anointing of God's presence and peace will flow through us and touch their lives. And they too then will be changed. 
If we're going to have this outpouring and revival, this is what we have to be. We have to get to this point and praise God. All it takes is spending time with Him and following that outline in Philippians chapter 4. We win that victory. When we open our mouth and talk, people need to hear the victory of Jesus in everything we say, no matter what the situation. 